We are in uh, Revelation chapter 7 tonight as we continue on through the book of Revelation. And uh, I wanted to, before we get started here, I, I, I've done a lot of international travel. And one of my favorite things to do while traveling internationally is look for fun um, pictures where they mistranslate something. In fact, when I was in Nepal, I found Guitar Center and it was like this little shack uh, on the side of an alley, and it wasn't even open. It, it didn't even look like a guitar center at all, but it said guitar center, and there's a little cutout sign of a guitar, and I was like, this is a very different kind of guitar center than what we have. But uh, one of the things that's fun about it is you see that some things just don't translate. Uh, although the cultures try their best to translate something, it comes out a little weird sometimes. I got some pictures here of uh, things that get lost in translation. Our food is guaranteed not to cause pregnancy. <laughs> I have no idea what they intended to mean by that, but that's a good thing, especially if you're a guy. Uh, a love elevator. <laughs> I'm not sure if you receive love from the elevator. Bar is presently open because it is not closed. I love the explanation. <laughs> like It's open because it's not closed. Take luggage of foreigner, no charge. <laughs> you can get a free suitcase this way. And then warning, please do not put your hand into the orphan's mouth or risk losing a finger. Management will not be responsible for any injuries. What kind of orphanage is this where the kids will bite off your fingers? This one must be like, I could see this in Nepal. Holy cow is not responsible for your vehicle. I'm sure this is India or Nepal, but uh, holy cow is not responsible for your vehicle. And then is that it? Oh, this is my favorite. Uh, a, a special Chinese dish, spicy grandma. So, <laughs> so um, but some things just don't quite work in translation, no matter how you try that. And I want to just remind you, as we look, as we were studying through the book of Revelation, John is expressing in his words what he's seen. So sometimes we're gonna we're gonna have some imagery given to us. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, who knows, last week we were talking about the seals and we had the six seals, these cataclysmic events, and I said we can speculate that maybe it's a chain of volcanic activity or events happening. But some, we, ju we just don't know for sure. But what, what we do know is that God means what he says and says what he means and that we can trust God's word, that these things, although we n might not know the specifics about how something will play out or actually look, we know that it will happen. That's the important part. And uh, so as we get into this, uh, let's just pray and ask God's blessing as we read his word and we get into chapter 7. Lord God, we ask you to open up your word to us. We thank you, Lord, for it. We thank you for just the promise of your return, the promise of restoring things. Lord, we look forward to you reigning here on earth. And ultimately, Lord, we look forward to you wiping away every tear putting an end to sin. Lord, we, we cry out for justice, especially in light of the events that have happened this last week or this last Friday in Paris. Lord God, have mercy on the Parisians. Lord, we, we as Americans know what it's like to be gripped in fear. And even as this happened in Paris, God, it strikes fear in our hearts too. But Lord, we do pray for justice. And we pray that your gospel will continue to go forth. Lord, we pray for these men who are committing these terrible terrorist acts, Lord, that you would give them more opportunities to receive truth and the gospel. And uh, Lord, comfort, heal, and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The, uh, tonight we'll be, by the way, we're going to be talking about uh, the Arab nation as well tonight. So we'll, we'll get into that towards the end. Let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 7 verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Let's go ahead and stop there and start talking about this part of the passage. You know, it's interesting how we're in the midst of the seals being open, and we almost have kind of a parenthetical pause here as these set this this scroll in chapter five that we find that only Jesus Christ was worthy to open and unlock and unseal these seals, and uh, he begins to break open these seals in chapter six. In chapter six, we have the the four horsemen of the apocalypse coming out uh, as as we've we've deemed them in popular culture. And then, of course, it also follows with other tragedy that is happening in chapter 6. But before we get to the seventh seal, we have this pause. And, um, and I want you to realize as, as this pause is happening, the seventh seal, when it breaks open, is going to break forth seven trumpets. Uh, and so we'll have more judgments coming from that. But in this pause, we see that there's four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, we, we obviously, the Bible knows the earth is round. It's not saying that. In fact, uh, in, in Isaiah it says God sits enthroned above the vault of the earth or the, in circle, uh, the circle of the earth. So we know that even in Isaiah, prior to Christopher Columbus selling the ocean blue, God knew the earth was round. That was no surprise to him. But obviously, obviously this figure of speech saying, the earth is completely covered. They're, they're there ready to do harm to the earth. And first, before they do this harm, we see that the winds are being held back. I can only imagine, I, I don't like the wind. When we ever go camping in the desert and it's a really windy night, it's just miserable. Uh, especially, the wind can just ruin your desert trips if any of you guys go out to the desert. And when it's just constant wind, you're just like, ah, it's so frustrating. But, but I'll tell you, I'm sure I'm thankful living in Orange County that we have breezes and winds. Can you imagine if the wind just stopped? If the smog just sat in where it's at and there was no breeze to move it on? It would be terrible. It just the heat that would happen. You know, when you're out and it's a hot day and you get that just still breeze coming through, you're like, oh, that's so good. We were setting up for the Harvest Fest. And, of course, this year when we did the Harvest Fest, it happened to be a 100-degree day. Great planning on our part. And uh, we're out there working all day, and this breeze came through, and it was just like, 
thank you, Lord, for that breeze. A, a cloud came by and just gave us a little shade while we're working out in the parking lot. It's like, oh, thank you for that shade. And on any other day, it probably would have not even been noticed. But because it was so hot, we noticed it. We were like, thank you, Lord. And then uh, one of the students that was working with us, I, I can't remember what they said, but I kind of corrected them because they, I think they said something like, thank you, cloud, for giving us shade. I'm like, don't thank the cloud. Thank God. You know, but uh, anyway, so imagine this, the wind just stopping and there's nothing blowing. Then I saw this other angel descending uh, from the rising sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice. So this angel descends, ready to seal 144,000. Now, who are these 144,000? Well, it's certainly not the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, I can tell. <laughs> that was loud. It's certainly not the Jehovah's Witnesses. And, and you know, prior to 1935, all true Christians uh, who were Jehovah's Witnesses were said to be the anointed and called to heaven. Therefore, everyone associating themselves with the Watchtower Society prior to 1935 was automatically part of this heavenly class. Those who converted after 1935 generally are told they have an earthly hope. And uh, what makes this doctrine quite absurd is that it indicates God could only find 144,000 true Christians over a period of 2,000 years. Yet, over the period since, since the time of 1935, they've added 6 million Jehovah's Witnesses. It's just an absurd idea. The Jehovah's Witnesses read this, and one of the problems is they, they're just allegorizing right out of the gate. Who, who could this be? Well, it's certainly, uh, well, you know what, it's, it's probably these true Christians. And nowhere in the scriptures do we see the tribes of Israel applied to the church. When we see the tribes of Israel in scripture, guess who it refers to? The tribes of Israel. Just what it says. In fact, if you take this as a literal interpretation, you have no problem going, oh, it's a special group of Jews that are sealed. Sealed how? Well, we believe that, that during this period of time, they're going to be set apart and kept through the tribulation. And we'll, we'll talk about this more in just a minute. But Revelation chapter 9 and verse uh, 4, or sorry, uh, Revelation 9, 4 says that they were told, speaking of these demons coming out of the bottomless pit, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So here we see that they're protected during this special time. And, and we've seen that multiple times throughout the, New, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Of course, uh, the famous passage from Exodus and Exodus um, chapter 2012, we see that there's a certain group that are sealed and kept from the angel passing over. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's interesting that all through this judgment period, when God is judging the earth, we're going to see that God is always in control. He gives instruction on who's allowed to be harmed and who's not allowed to be harmed. And, um, but again, what is the purpose of this tribulation period, the great tribulation as Jesus referred to it in his Olivet Discourse? We've got to go back to Daniel 9.24. Okay? Daniel is the key to Revelation. Daniel 9.24 says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, 
to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint the most holy place. So in Daniel's 70 weeks, notice this prophecy is given to who? Who, who, what are these 70 weeks decreed to? You and your people, Daniel. Who is Daniel's people? Israel. The prophecy is given to Israel, not to the Gentile church. Of course, we have the word of God, so we receive it and we know it. But we understand that this prophecy is given to Daniel as he's praying about, hey, when do we get to go home? When do we get to leave Babylon? You and I, when we think of time in periods, we refer to it as decades, Right? We refer to it in 10-year periods. In, in Israel, they refer to them as heptads or seven-year periods. And then, so we have 70-year uh, seven peri periods of, of the, what we call these seven-year periods are decreed. And, of course, we know that right up to the time of Jesus Christ, we have those 69 weeks happen. Now this great tribulation is that 70th week. And what is the purpose? Well, in the Old Testament, it's also called the time of Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble. It's a time to recall Israel. It's a time to call them back. We're going to see lots of people come to Christ during this time, not just Israel, but we're seeing that God is calling back Israel to himself during this time. Romans 9, 10, and 11 help us understand this a little bit more. Romans 9 is a challenging passage, and, and I often, when someone calls me, uh, especially youth kids, when they've called me and said, Dave, I, I, I've been reading my Bible and I'm really troubled about something. And I say, oh, Romans 9? And they're like, how do you know? <laughs> you know, Because that's the passage that people call pastors about. Because the language in Romans 9 makes it almost seem like, well, wait a minute, it seems like God just kind of chooses at a whim who he wants and who he doesn't and so on. But Romans 9, 10, and 11 specifically are, is God done with Israel? That's what Paul is answering in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Is God finished with Israel? Is he done with them? Is it now just the church replacing all of Israel? And Paul's answer is no way. Chapter 9 speaks of God's election of the Jewish nation. Now, let me just help you understand this. The Jewish nation is special in the fact that they were chosen, they were called out by God. They, think about it, they were the keepers and authors of much of the word of God. They, they've kept it and, and they kept it meticulously and that's why now when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1948 and we compare it to Isaiah from the, the earliest copy we had at that point in time, which was a thousand years later, there, it was spot on with this copy from 250 B.C. They've kept his word. The, the Jewish people were called out. They were given special traditions. It was through the Jews that the Messiah would come. And, and through the Jews that all peoples on earth would be blessed by them through Jesus Christ. Of course, even for the Jews, I think it's, it's something that I'm not sure that they really want to be the chosen people all the time. Because look at no other nation on earth has so much hatred against them as the Jews. The anti-Semitism that just follows them. And we know eventually all policies on earth, foreign policies on earth towards the Jews will be changed. And there will be no one supporting them. No one going for them. And, and I think even today in America as we see our policy with Israel begin to start to fray, we go, what's going on, Lord? What's going on? And are we getting closer? And I, obviously every day we get closer. 
So the Jews were, were a chosen people set apart, and God made specific promises to Israel that he's not done with yet. And so in Romans 9, we have his election of the Jews. And Romans 10, we have the rejection on the Jewish nation's behalf of Christ. We see that they reject God, and so God says, okay. And then on, in Romans chapter 11, we have the restoration of the Jews. So Romans 11.11 says this, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Do you know that that's part of your salvation is to make God's elect people, the Jews, jealous? And by the way, when I say elect, I don't mean that they're in a better, they have a better election than you as the church. I'm not saying that. I'm not putting Israel above the church. What I'm saying is that God has specific promises to national Israel. We know from Galatians that, that we are called the spiritual children of Abraham. But the thing is, it's through Israel that we've been grafted into that olive branch. That's really important to understand. Eventually, those natural branches, which are the Jews, will also be grafted back in. So we're not saying that Jews are saved just because they're Jews, because certainly that is not true. Jews are saved by the same means that any Gentile is saved, and that's only by the blood of Jesus Christ, which we're going to see that these 144,000, that's what they're, they're, they receive Jesus as Savior, and they become the missionaries in the tribulation period. But Romans 11, 12, 22 says this going on, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, speaking of the Jews, but God's kindness to you, the Gentile, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Now just for the sake of those who aren't up to speaking Christianese, I just want to make sure I explain what Gentile means. Gentile is non-Jew. So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That's pretty simple. So God's severity towards the Jews has cut them off for a time, but eventually he, he'll bring them back. He's going to bring them back, and that's what we see happening here in Revelation chapter 7. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Is this a literal number? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you could say God could be rounding off, but I have no reason to say it's 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 allegorical. I have no reason to say that God is just estimating here. It, he says 12,000 of each tribe of the 12 tribes. And so I'm going to go with, yep, it's 144,000 missionaries God is calling out. And the, the, now, the, is there a special position like the Jehovah's Witnesses say? No, it's just 144,000 missionaries. Why are these missionaries needed? The church isn't there. The church is gone. They're with the Lord, waiting out the tribulation period in heaven. Remember, God hasn't destined us for wrath. So we're with the Lord waiting out this tribulation period. Here he calls his special missionaries. And I want to I point out something to you. Notice that the tribe of Dan is not there, nor the tribe of Ephraim. Normally in the, when listing the 12 tribes of Israel, you actually have 13 tribes. Generally, Manasseh and Ephraim, who were Joseph's sons, replace another tribe, whenever another, a tribe gets replaced. 
Here we have Ephraim no longer there, and we actually have the term Joseph, and we see that Manasseh replaces the tribe of Dan. Now, why is that? Well, I'm not really sure for sure. I can't really say that I know for sure why that is, but I think Deuteronomy gives us a little bit of, of a insight to it. In Deuteronomy 29.18, we find out that God gives a severe warning to Israel and this is what the warning is. Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord, our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations. So beware. This is a beware. Don't go start worshiping idols. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe. Though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven, and the Lord will single him out from, from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. And what we find in the Old Testament is Dan and Ephraim are the ones who first start inviting idolatry into Israel. So it's very possible that this is one of the reasons they're removed. Now, we do know from Ezekiel that God is going to restore Dan. He's going to give Dan his allotment of land. And, and that's an important thing to understand. Although they're not found here in the 144,000, eventually God's going to call them. And you might say, well, how does God do this? How, how does God restore all these tribes? They've been lost. Well, I think God knows full well who's part of what tribe. I think he can do this. I, I was at a, a, a funeral yesterday. I did a memorial service. And uh, they, they had uh, the, <clears throat> the person's mother was cremated. And we went out to sea in the ocean. And, and um, they wanted to scatter the ashes at sea. And it was actually a very beautiful ceremony. But uh, one of the questions I got asked is, well, how is this going to work in the resurrection? Because part of my memorial message was speaking of the hope of the resurrection because that's the hope we have in Christ. And, and I said, I think God can handle this. <laughs> I, think God, I think God can handle this besides the fact that we get new bodies, so it's even better. But I think God can handle anything. And I think God knows full well who is part of what tribe and he will restore. All right. So we have these 144,000 sealed, and I want to I point out one last thing to you. Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 14 gives us one more little insight into these witnesses. And we find out in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of lost thunder, loud thunder. The, vo the voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing and their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So we see that this 144,000 has a special song to sing before the Lamb because they were faithful. It's a, it's a neat thing. Speaking about being sealed in Christ, do you know that you've been sealed? That's a really important idea. Yeah, we're not part of the 144,000, but the Bible says not only have we been sealed, but we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has been given as an earnest or down payment for what's yet to come. It's an awesome idea that in Romans, as Paul explains this, he, he says basically as if you were about to go buy a house and you had to come up with your earnest deposit, your deposit saying, yeah, I'm really serious about this. That's what the Holy Spirit is for the believer. The Holy Spirit is given to you as that earnest deposit that Christ will return and he will do all that he says he will do, that you're a part of his body, his church. That's an important idea. Of course, the Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, with sin. When we give ourselves over to sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't allow that power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to manifest the fruit, to, to produce the fruit that God wants to produce in us. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. Sadly, many Christians who are sealed for that day don't benefit today on the Holy Spirit being in their life because they've, they're allowing sin in their life in some way. And sin, by the way, comes in a lot of different forms. Sin comes in forms where we chase after temptation. Sin comes in forms of oftentimes things hurt us, pain happens, and we end up doing reckless living or sinful things to ourselves. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And how, do, how can we be sure not to grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, let me tell you this. First, sit down with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, you know me. You know my going out and my coming to. Lord, you know everything about me. Reveal to me sin in my life. And God does this in a couple different ways. One way is he'll just put it right on your heart right away. You'll know right away. Yep, that's something i got to repent of. I've got to repent of this thing. The other way you'll know is, is God puts pastors and teachers and friends and other Christians in the fellowship into your life. And they may have a, of course, they're not going to be like God and say, repent. But they may have a gentle rebuke for you and saying, you know, maybe you shouldn't speak that way. Or maybe you should go do this. You know, change, change your direction. That's how God speaks to us. You know, anytime I get corrected, and I do, sometimes it's <clears throat> maybe not be godly intentions. Maybe somebody just comes up and says something mean to me. Sometimes I go, Lord, <laughs> is that from you? I, I, mean, I recognize the attitude's not from you, but is the message from you? And do I need to repent of something? And, I, and I, I want the Lord to teach me because I don't want to live a life grieving the Holy Spirit because I miss out on all the gifts of the Spirit, all those wonderful things that God's Spirit produces in me. So I want to encourage you, know, that one, that you're sealed for that day by His Holy Spirit. Start tapping into the Spirit of God, the power of God. And when I say tap in, I'm not saying you, you've got some special prayer, but just start living by His Word, reading His Word digesting his word and let the Holy Spirit start applying it in your life. And, of course, obviously also there's, a, there's another way that the Spirit manifests his power through us, and that's through the gifts of the Spirit. God gives us different gifts to use for what? For the edification of the body, for lifting up the body. So if God's given you a gift of the Spirit, bring it into the body. Start using it so that you can encourage, grow, help out the body of Christ. That's the, the wonderful power of the Spirit. We know that when this tribulation period kicks off, the Holy Spirit is removed in the aspect of the church. That's what uh, the, the Bible tells us in Thessalonians, which we've talked about previously. And so for this time, for this period while the church is here, I want to encourage you to be, be a part of the church. Bring your gifts into the fellowship. 
don't sit in the pew expecting to get all the time. Come to church ready to serve. Come to church ready to give. Come to church to use your gifts. That's why God has gifted you. So I want to encourage you. That's a major part of church life and and being in the fellowship. So there's going to be this revival happening throughout the tribulation period. And let's go to verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. I love that. That's the worship. Amen. I, we have uh, somebody who attends the youth group and he, he attends Sunday morning. Some of you guys know Jason Mallon. And uh, Jason, Jason's mentally handicapped and... Uh, one of the things Jason knows is when you say in Jesus' name, he knows that's the key word to yell, amen. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think of Jason when I was reading this passage about they worship God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is an interesting passage because John is here looking at this great multitude. And by the way, this is one of the purposes of the tribulation period. We're going to have the 144,000 missionaries going out, proclaiming the gospel. Eventually, in Revelation 14... After that little passage we read, we're going to have an angel going to and from the earth proclaiming the gospel. There's going to be every single opportunity possible for men to change and turn towards God. Every single opportunity. And so we see this great multitude coming in. And John is asked the question by one of the elders, who are these people? And John's like, you know. (laughs) I don't know. You know. And he says, these are those who have, have um, <clears throat> these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's so interesting. I, I don't know any way that we can wash something in blood and have it come out pure and spotless. But I'll tell you right now, only by Jesus Christ. It is only by the blood of the Lamb that we are made pure and spotless. There's no other way. There's no other means of salvation, only by Jesus Christ. These wonderful multitude coming to faith, obviously we know that they're dying during the tribulation. We know, and we'll see this coming up later, the beast and the Antichrist are there trying to kill anyone who is aligned with Christ, who names Christ as their Savior. So there's going to be a time of great martyrdom happening during the tribulation. And interestingly enough, just like God seals, this 144,000 for his purposes, we're going to see the, the Antichrist on, on behalf of Satan try to do a fake seal. The, the number 666 comes up, and we'll read about that in a few chapters. But interesting that Satan never comes up with an original idea. Oh, God's doing it. I want to be like God. Oh, God's doing that. I want to have my own sealed. 
And, and we, we see that throughout this tribulation. We, we, last week we looked at a false Christ, the Antichrist. And, and with the false Christ, he's got a false seal, 666. Of course, uh, those who are coming out of the tribulation are refusing to take that seal. And they're being martyred for the sake of Christ, their testimony, their faithful testimony. And uh, I want to read one passage to you because I think this is important. We, uh, we know that today's terrorism is, is the thing we are probably most afraid of nowadays. We, we recognize that things have changed. It's not a country. It's not a force that we can meet on a battlefield. It's, it's a group of radical people who are infiltrating places, and their sole goal is to cause death and fear and uh, just tear apart, uh, well, the Western world and our Western civilization. We, these groups we know are descendants of Ishmael. And we know the descendants of Ishmael, who we call the Arabs, have always been at war since, since Isaac was born with God's people. It's just been happening. Isaiah 60 verse 7 gives this prophecy about the millennial reign of Christ. It says, all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you, the rams of Neboth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who's Kedar and Nebioth? Those are sons of Ishmael, sons of the Arabs. We're going to see here that there will be a point in time where even Ishmael's children have a revival. And I want to encourage you too. Uh, we're seeing more and more Muslims coming in to Orange County. Start educating yourselves about Islam and educate yourself about how to witness to Islam. I think it's important. I think we should be ready to minister to these people. Trust me, they long for truth also. Well, they may not long for it, but I think we, we, we owe it to them to share the gospel and bring them truth. So we're going to see that out of this tribulation period, literally people from every tongue and tribe and nation are coming out of the great tribulation and the gospel is for everybody, every nation. And it's going out today, and it's going to many nations across the earth, and it's going to continue through this great tribulation. I uh, read this story about a man who fell in a pit, and I, I wanted to read it to you. Uh, an objective, uh, a subject, uh, sorry, um, a man fell into a pit. He couldn't get himself out, and a subjective person came along and said, I, f I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think that you're in a pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. A mathematician calculated how he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on his pit. A legalistic Christian said, you deserve that pit. Confucius said, if you would have listened to me, you wouldn't be in that pit. Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. A realist said, that is a pit. A scientist calculated the pressure necessary in pounds per square inch to get him out of the pit. A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata in the pit. An evolutionist said, you are a rejected mutant destined to be removed from the evolutionary cycle. In other words... He's going to die in that pit so that he cannot produce any pit-falling offspring. <laughs> the county inspector asked if he had a permit to dig that pit. That's the, that's the inspectors. 
a professor gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of the pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A charismatic from the faith movement said, just confess it and you'll not be in that pit any longer. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. But Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. So many different philosophies, there's only one Savior who saves Jew, Gentile, in this age of grace and then in the time to come. Only Jesus' blood can save us. Verse 15, therefore, these who are saved, are bef- they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's God's ultimate goal, to remove every tear. You know, as a dad, especially of daughters, we have a lot of tears in our household. But... Like, why are you crying? I don't understand why they're crying right now. Uh, by the way, my, my one daughter plays girls soccer and the other one plays girls basketball. I've never seen more crying in sports than, than uh, girls soccer and basketball. I mean, every single thing, it's crying, falling down. Everybody take a knee. It's like, come on, can we just get on with the game? Shake it off. So whenever my kids get hurt, I'm like, shake it off, shake it off. No, you know. But um, I'll tell you, when my kids are genuinely hurt, last night Elise got in trouble for something and um, I, I let her know, you know. Laura and I were both really disappointed in her. We let her know we're really disappointed. And and um, she was crying and really upset because she realized, I've really disappointed you and I, I did this wrong. And uh, it was really hard for me not just to go, okay, just come here. Let's just forget about it. You know, because I've seen her cry and I've seen the pain. And I just want to remove that pain from her as a dad. How much more does my heavenly father want to wipe away every tear? This last little passage tells us something. One, this group coming out of the tribulation, although they may have been starved during the tribulation, we know that in Revelation 13, they can no longer buy because they haven't received the mark of the beast. They'll never be hungry or thirsty anymore. Amazing. Jesus said, he's the bread of life. Whoever follows me will never hunger. Jesus told that woman at the well that that if you knew who asked you for a drink of water, you would ask him and he would give you living water that's... that's, uh, uh, he would give you a water that springs up to living water that just is flowing out of you. The shepherd is in their midst. And notice that they won't be scorched anymore by the sun. They won't be stricken anymore by this world. But instead they'll be guided. They'll be cared for, protected. And they get to be in his midst. Cared for by him. And God will wipe away every tear. That's where we're getting to in Revelation. God putting away every tear. God putting away every terrorist. God putting away every thief, every liar, every everything that causes tears in this world. God is putting away. That's what we're looking forward to at the end of Revelation. So until that time, again, the message is the same. Be faithful with sharing the gospel. Be faithful taking it out there. And hopefully by the end of Revelation, 
as we get to the last chapter, you guys already know the sermon wrap-up, go share the gospel. Go share the good news of Jesus Christ. Time is short. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. Lord, help us to live it out faithfully. God, help us not to grieve your spirit. We thank you that you've sealed us for that day of redemption. Lord, we thank you that we can't be snatched from your hand by anyone. We give you praise for that, Lord. Father, I know some in this room tonight have come with tears. And Lord, I just ask you to minister to their heart. If the tears are the product of sin in their life, I ask you to teach them. Lord, you're gentle. Lord, if the sin is a product, or the, if the tears are a product of other people's sin against them, Lord, I pray comfort them. We look to you, Lord Jesus, now as we finish out our worship. Amen.